Welcome to the sermon podcast of Old Bridge Baptist Church. Our mission at OBBC is to make disciples of Christ who connect with God, others, ministry, and the lost. We pray that the following sermon will encourage you in your walk with Christ today. Visit us on the web anytime at obb.church. Are you familiar with Mark Lowry's Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? I think, it's, I think most people are familiar with that. Lyrics say this, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. You know, when we read the story of Mary from the gospel accounts, I think we can't help but wonder Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know the the full significance of everything that Jesus was going to do and become in the future? And really, I think the the full effect of this song as you you listen to it and as it it sort of crescendos near the end of the song, realizing that that little baby on Mary's lap is the great I am and it reaches that high note at the end, just just declaring that truth and the wonder of that. I think the the effect of the song, at least on me, is to realize, of course she didn't know. How could she know? How could she know the full significance of what she was holding in her arms? And how could she know all the wonderful things that her son would grow up to do and to be? I'm sure she had a picture of what that would look like like in her mind, but I'm sure that it played out in a completely different way than what she had imagined. But oh, if she could only have known what was to come. You know, even after Jesus' birth, as Mary and Joseph took him to the temple to have him dedicated there, the righteous Simeon, the, the old prophet who had been assured that his eyes would behold the Messiah before he, he passed away. He comes up to Mary and Joseph and he says that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And oh, by the way, Mary, a sword will pierce your heart as well. I think even with a warning like that from the prophet Simeon, how could Mary have known what was to come? How could she have known the significance of it all? The reality is we know precious little about this young virgin woman. 
But I don't know if it's ever stood out to you. It stood out to me this week for the first time that the majority of the verses that we have of speech that Mary actually spoke in the, in the Gospels, the majority of what we have about her is actually a song that she spoke and that, that she wrote down. And the, the theme of that song isn't musing about what Mary didn't know, but I think it's a wonderful declaration as Mary excitedly declares to us what she did know. Right, we can look at this song that takes place in between the annunciation of the fact that Christ was going to be uh, in her, she would conceive the Christ child and give birth to the Son of the Most High, and in between when the Christ was actually born, we have this song that gives us a window into the heart of this woman. And we see her here, her declaring excitedly some things that she did know. And as I said, instead of wondering what Mary did, Mary did you know, I want you to notice all that we can plainly see that Mary did know. And I, I boiled my observations down here. Could have made a lot more, but I boiled them down to four main points from Mary's song, Mary's Magnificat. First one here. Mary knew that she wasn't worthy. Mary knew that she wasn't worthy. You know, God at, at just the right time dispatched his mighty angel Gabriel from heaven to announce to this peasant teenage girl named Mary that she would, as a virgin, conceive the Son of the Most High God. And Mary understandably asks the angel Gabriel a question as, the, as he announces this to her. She says, how can this be for I'm still a virgin? And the angel Gabriel explains to her that it will be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Sort of like the Holy Spirit overshadowed the earth at, at creation, over, overshadowed the waters. It would be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Gabriel adds to this, oh, by the way, Mary, your cousin Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. And he adds this wonderful statement, for nothing will be impossible with God. Oh, how we need that reminder. And Mary responds, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so the angel Gabriel departs. And what does Mary do next? It says in verse 39 that in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, all the way to Judah. She was up in Nazareth in Galilee, and she traveled all the way down into the hill country of Judah to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And as she entered into that house and greets Elizabeth, look at what happens next in verses 41 through 45. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed 
that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she begins to prophesy concerning Mary about how blessed she is. Right? This isn't just Elizabeth saying, you know, girl, you are so blessed. Right? It's not just her. It says she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit through her is, is, is prompting her to speak this, this blessing over Mary. As, as she considers the fact that Mary was chosen to carry the Son of God within her. And in response to Elizabeth's prophetic blessing, we get what we call Mary's Magnificat. By the way, that term, if you've ever heard this song of Mary referred to as the Magnificat, it's simply because in the old Latin translation of the scriptures, the very first word of Mary's song is Magnificat, which is Latin for magnifies. So that's why we call it that. So this is really a song, the song of Mary's magnification of the Lord. And so we see Mary responding here to the announcement of her blessedness by her immediately, almost reflexively, turning and magnifying the Lord. Literally, this word here, to magnify, means to enlarge or to make great. Now, of course, we don't literally make God larger. We don't enlarge Him or we don't make Him greater somehow when we praise Him. But we do have the ability to magnify the glory of his name to those who will listen to us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that God chooses particularly lowly people on purpose. Because in the lowly, he is particularly magnified. In fact, why don't you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's just read that together. I think it's such a great summary of what lies behind this story of Mary. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I was together with my family over Thanksgiving just recently, we took a lot of family photos. You know how when you're taking family photos, especially when you got kids involved, it's always a big job to get everybody kind of lined up and looking the same direction at the same time with smiles on their faces. And uh, we, we did that. We, and we, we got a couple of, of family photos snapped while we were there. And you know when you, when you take a group shot, I think the first thing that we do is we, especially if we're doing it with our phones, we take, take the phone and we kind of do that reverse pinch and we zoom in on our faces to see, you know, is everybody looking at the camera? Is everybody smiling? Does anyone have a goofy look on their face? 
we're, we didn't used to be able to do that, right? With the old cameras, you had the, you know, the roll of film. You put it in there, you took the family photo, and you had to just hope it turned out, right? And a couple months later, you might finally get that film developed. It would come back, and oh, man, I was blinking, right? It ruins the whole photo. But we get instant gratification these days, right? And it's just amazing that we have the ability to magnify someone in that way with that reverse pinch you can do on your phone. I think that's, the, that's kind of what Mary's soul is doing here She's seeking to take the tiny view that you might have of God in your heart because she has recently had God magnified in her own heart and she wants to take that view of God in, in your heart and mind and she wants to enlarge it. She wants to magnify it. She wants God to fill the full frame. You know, there, there are times in our lives when the veil is pulled back and we catch a glimpse of God Almighty. And I think through what has happened to Mary lately, her view of God has been en enlarged and now she is magnifying the Lord from her heart. She is with her whole soul, her spirit rejoicing in what he has done for her. And as, I, as my point is saying here, I, I think Mary knew part of the, the wonder of this magnification of the Lord was at, at the heart of that was knowing she wasn't worthy. Right? This was at the very heart of her, of her praise and her magnifi magnification of the Lord. Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior my Savior. Notice that Mary, too, was in need of God to save her. You know, Elizabeth was right. When filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth remarks that, Mary, you are blessed among women by what God is, the privilege that he's given you of carrying his son. You are blessed among women. But I think even with the Holy Spirit saying that, filling Elizabeth and causing Elizabeth to, to say that over Mary, it, it isn't saying here that Mary is somehow blessed in and of herself as if God looked down, scanned across all the, the, the virgins of Israel and said, who is the most blessed, the, has the most virtue, who shall I choose? Oh, look there in Nazareth, there is the blessed virgin Mary, let me choose her. That's not at all what this, when Elizabeth declares her to be blessed, it's not observing in Mary a, some sort of inherent blessedness. No, it's looking at Mary and saying, Mary, oh my word, look what the Lord has done for you. You have been blessed in a way that you don't deserve. Look what God has done. What I see here is a couple of lowly, unknown women blown away by the mercy of God to a nobody like Mary. I think they could see that God had just blessed Mary's socks off and it didn't make any sense from a human point of view. And don't get me wrong, Mary has indeed experienced a unique blessing from God by His grace as we've said, such that the Holy Spirit says of her, Mary, blessed are you among women. I think we should 
listen to this woman who received such a blessing from God and learn from her experience. But we shouldn't become fixated upon her. I think Mary would be flabbergasted to see people venerating her as if she were somebody. That's the exact opposite of what she's saying here. I came across a, a, a statue of Mary here in our town, and I was kind of studying it, looking at it, and then I, I looked down at Mary's feet, and I realized that she was stepping on a snake in the statue, and I thought to myself, why is that? And it suddenly it dawned on me, Genesis 3.15 prophesied that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But notice whoever made that statue made the woman the crusher of the head of the serpent in that, in that image. Right? So it's inappropriate because it is the seed of the woman. It is Jesus who crushes the head of the serpent. Jesus is the Savior. Mary says, cries out here in her song and rejoices that God is her Savior. I think Mary is just like all believers across the ages who rejoice in God as her Savior. And she goes on to say here in uh, the next verse, verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I think we hear that word humble and we hear it as a virtue. In in fact, if I were to, to... to talk about myself being humble, it would sound like I was bragging, right? Mary's not bragging here about how humble she is. When she's talking about being humble, she's talking about she is a lowly nobody from Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? She, she was nobody. I, I don't think we can even fathom how oppressed they were under the Roman Empire, out in a rural place. She, she may have even been illiterate. And she says, he has looked upon my humble estate, my lowly estate. Why did God choose someone from a why didn't God choose someone from among the nobility? Why didn't he choose someone from among the religious elite? Why didn't he choose someone more worthy of this honor? Why did he choose to lavish this honor upon a poor nobody from Nazareth? I, I, I think Mary and Elizabeth were, were sort of marveling at this, and they're saying amongst each other, hey, future generations are going to look back on this, and they're going to marvel, and they're going to say, wow, God chose that girl? What a blessing. What a mercy. What a grace. And not only is, is Mary here when talking about her humble estate, not only is she talking about her lowly external realities, but I think she also was in touch with her lowly spiritual estate. She goes on to praise God and saying, holy is his name. Mary knew she wasn't worthy. She had been blessed with grace and mercy that she didn't deserve. Secondly, Mary knew the scriptures. She knew the scriptures. 
you know, even though this text of Scripture here doesn't specifically say that, that Mary is filled with the Holy Spirit and is prophesying here the way that we get that from Elizabeth, I think it's a safe assumption to say that Mary here was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, how did this young teenage woman compose such a beautiful, theologically rich song that is still being, that was included in God's Word and still being studied 2,000 some years later? Appreciated for all of its beauty and truth? Well, my first answer is that it was accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit in her life. This is the word of God, not just the word of Mary. And and think about it here. The spirit of God had been silent now for around 400 years between the ministry of Malachi and the the events that we're reading now. And how amazing is is it that the first people that the spirit of God is beginning to speak through again is Elizabeth and Mary. These are exciting times. And these women are really the first fruits here of things to come. They're foreshadowing what's about to come. So even though I believe that Mary prophesies here by the power of the Spirit, I think it's obvious that the Spirit had a lot of raw building blocks with which to compose this song in Mary's heart and life. I think Mary was filled with the Spirit, but I think she was also filled with the Scriptures. She's filled with the Word of God. In fact, if you compare this song of Mary's to a a very similar prayer of, of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, in the Old Testament, if you want to read that this week, 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll notice that there are a lot of stunning comparisons between Hannah's situation in her prayer and Mary's situation in her prayer. It's almost as if Mary had been meditating on 1 Samuel chapter 2 as she took that long journey from Nazareth to the hills of Judea. It's an interesting study for you, perhaps this week, a good Advent meditation for you to think about, to compare and contrast Hannah and, and Mary and to think about why perhaps Mary might have been drawn to the story of Hannah during this particular phase of her life. We don't really have time to to get into that too deeply this morning, but my point is simply this, that I believe Mary knew the word of God. I mean, even just if you don't compare this just to Hannah, but you just compare this to the various psalms that are found throughout scriptures, I mean, this just is, it's right up there with some of David's classics, right? It's just full of theological truth. I think the Spirit of God had some building blocks within Mary's heart. I think it's obvious she knew the Scriptures. And I I just want to make this observation here as I bring this point to a close. You know, my friends, no matter how humble your estate, if you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God within you, then you are wealthy beyond compare. How did Paul express it in in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? He said, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Mary from the outside was, you know, just a jar of clay, a humble jar of clay. 
But here God is pouring out into her the richest of blessings. Not that Mary might be magnified, but that he himself might be magnified. Thirdly, Mary knew the bigger story. She knew the bigger story. In her song, Mary looks back and sees what is happening to her, and she sees it as a faithful fulfillment of all that God has been promising since the beginning. Look at at the end of her song here, verses 54 and 55. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She realizes that what's happening to her right now is a remembrance of his mercy to Israel. She sees her little part in a much bigger story. She realizes it's not just about her. She knows the scriptures. She knows the bigger story, and she knows that she is playing a small part of something much bigger than herself. Not only does she look back in time and see this as a fulfillment of what was spoken to the forefathers, but she also looks forward and sees that God's mercy is from generation to generation. See this in verse 50. This is probably, to me, the most precious uh, verse in Mary's song here where she says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I think if this song were written in Hebrew, this word here, mercy, would have undoubtedly been the Hebrew word hesed. If you read through the Psalms, this word mercy in this kind of a context of of the faithfulness of God from generation to generation, it's this word hesed, which really is a difficult little word to translate into English, and you'll often see it translated variously as mercy or steadfast love or faithfulness or covenantal love, right? God's mercy, his faithfulness is from generation to generation. I think Mary not only looked back and saw that she was a part of something that God was keeping those promises back then, but she's connecting the dots and saying, you know what, I've heard, God, of your mercy, of your faithfulness, of what you promised long ago and what you've done throughout history, but now I see that it's true in my generation too, and it's true for me. She is excitedly declaring the mercy of God, not just for ages gone by, but for herself and for every generation to come on down to our own generation. What does Mary have to say to us today in December 2020 as we enter into what many are glooming and dooming about as a long, dark winter of the soul? What does Mary have to say to our own scoffing and faithless generation who says, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, Mary sings a song of incredible fulfillment. She stands as a shining, bright testimony that God is merciful, that he is steadfast in his love, that his that he is faithful to do all that he has promised to do. One day we will sing songs of fulfillment when Jesus comes again. 
as surely as Mary was able to sing her song of fulfillment, we will sing those songs of fulfillment again. God has promised that he will return and he will return. We must raise our hands in faith again today, brothers and sisters. And I say, we should say to one another, you know, I, I may not know what God is doing in the world. I may not know what God is doing in my life. I may not know why the circumstance is raging in my life, but I believe like Mary that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. There's a grander, bigger picture here, here and there's a grander, bigger picture today. Trust in him. Believe again today. Lift your hands up in faith to him again today. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, but all things work together for good. Mary knew that she was part of a much bigger story, and it reminds us that we too are part of that story. Fourthly, Mary knew the Lord. You know, perhaps Mary didn't know the, the full significance of who Jesus was and what he would do. But you know what, in, in the end, knowing the future isn't really all that important. That's for God to know and for God to worry about. But what is important and what is the most important thing is that Mary knew the Lord. And this is really the point that I've sort of been dancing around throughout all my other points. It occurs to me that Mary was a young woman, perhaps a, a, a late teenager. And I don't know what Mary's relationship with the Lord was like before these events happened to her. But one thing is for certain now, God has now been magnified in her own life to the point that she is now praising him from the heart. And, you know, in doing that, in praising God with her spirit, with her soul, she had a knowledge that had eluded priests and scribes and kings and soldiers all around her. Mary says, my soul magnifies him. My spirit rejoices in him, my Savior. Matthew Henry said of this verse, praising work must be soul work. Jesus told the woman at the well, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Mary says, he sees me. He in his holiness has looked upon me in my sinfulness and lowliness, and he has been merciful to me. He has been mighty to me, doing great things for me. Lord, I've read of you doing great things for others, but now I say he's done great things for me by his grace. Mary ponders how the Lord has lifted her up from such a lowly position and made her one of whom the Spirit says, blessed are you among women. And she declares, a, I think here in her song, a central value of the kingdom of God, a central value of the gospel. In verses 51 and 52, she says this, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
God humbles those who are exalted and he exalts those who are humbled. How many people in Israel didn't know that simple truth? And yet Mary had come to know it by experience. And how strong the Lord had suddenly seemed to Mary, lifting her up from obscure hopelessness and placing her on such firm and hopeful ground. Who would ever have dreamed it could have been so? But no circumstance is too difficult for the Lord. Mary says he has filled the hungry, but he sends the rich away packing. Why? Because it's the needy who sense their need for God and yet the self-sufficient who with all their wealth, with all their achievement, all their success, still sense that there's something missing, that they still haven't found what they're looking for. It's clear here that Mary has come to know the Lord personally. And it is this knowledge that floods her soul with such joy. Isn't this what you long for? Isn't this what you... are praying for, for so many people? That this Christmas they wouldn't just know about the baby in the manger, but that they would know him... I mean, truly know him? Isn't this what you long for, someone like Mary? To come to know the Lord personally and to be magnifying him from the heart? Isn't this what Christmas is all about? I hope you're praying this for your spouse, for your kids your grandkids, your friend, your neighbor. And if you know the Lord in the way that Mary knows the Lord and sings about him here, then we should join with her this Christmas in rejoicing in him and making much of him, magnifying him together. Do you know him? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I think you can know from this story this morning that God has sent his own son into the world through a lowly teenage nobody girl from rural northern Israel so that you might know that he is God and he is the God who humbles the proud but lifts up the lowly. question is, will you humble yourself before him today? Will you express to him your need of a savior? You know, it's true that your sins, they may be many, but his mercy is more. Humble yourself today before him and receive the gift of Christ this Christmas. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. But three days later, he rose again. You could be singing along with Mary this Christmas. 
magnify the Lord. He has seen me. He's done great things for me. Holy is his name. Let's pray.